Do you all still have your trees up? A couple of years ago, you know, the, the nature of, of my work is that, is that I rarely travel at Christmas. Um, so a couple of years ago, we were going to visit some family in, um, in Northern California for Christmas. And so we, we celebrated Christmas Eve and then we had a, a, a small Christmas, uh, celebration on Christmas Day. And then we drove up to Northern California and I forget where we were going, but it was either in Bakersfield or Fresno. And if I knew that, I'd know where we were going. But we were going to one or the other, um, and, and we got behind a car on the on the highway, and there was on the 26th of December there was a, a a big Christmas tree in the back, and it was it was a used Christmas tree. You know, you can tell because there's tinsel and stuff streaming off of it in the in the wind. Um, and, and I was looking at it, and I was thinking to myself, that's pretty quick. You know, on the 26th of December to actually have the tree down and carrying it off to the landfill to to take care of the Christmas tree. I thought that was pretty fast. And I don't know, I don't know the story. I don't know if maybe that person worked in retail and was just tired of Christmas after, you know, whatever five months of Christmas season or whatever. Uh, maybe they were gonna, like us, maybe they were traveling somewhere and they didn't want the house to have a, a tree sitting in it, you know, drying out or whatever. But, but it struck me that was pretty quick to move on from Christmas to, uh, to immediately on the 26th already have the ornaments off and the tree in the truck going to the landfill. And sometimes I think the scriptures are kind of like that. They seem to be in a hurry to move on from Christmas. You know, there's so little in the scriptures to talk about uh, Jesus from the time of his birth until he begins his, his adult ministry. Um, in Mark's biography of Jesus, there's nothing. And Mark begins after Jesus is an adult. Uh, John's, John's biography has, has some things about before Jesus began his ministry, but really before. Uh, John has this kind of cosmic perspective where we see uh, the Word being with God um, and, and the Word being God uh, back at the very beginning of, of time and space and everything like that. But we don't hear anything about baby Jesus in the manger. The only, the only biographies of Jesus that talk about his uh, early, early years are Matthew and Luke. Matthew uh, pretty much wraps up right away. He has, he has the story of, of Christmas and then and then the story of the wise men who come and uh, then the, the Holy Family flees to Egypt. And so that's all we hear from Matthew before, before Jesus begins his adult ministry. But Luke has an entire chapter. Luke has three events. He has the Christmas story, which we hear very popular. It's the, uh, the Linus and, and uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, Christmas story. And then that's followed by the story of Jesus' presentation in the temple, where he was presented for the the ritual of circumcision that any Jewish boy would have had, and then Luke flashes forward um, uh, twelve years to the time when Jesus is brought to the temple um, or, or comes to the temple with his family uh, as part of the regular observance of Passover, and that's where the the gospel lesson comes to us today from the story of Jesus at the temple, and uh, in it. We, we see this, this picture of Jesus as this precocious and, uh, very, um, uh, uh, amazing child who is talking to the, the, the doctors, as it's called, the, 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 the teachers, the, the people whose job was to talk about God who worked at the temple. And they're all amazed by his answers and his understanding and his wisdom. And yet at the same time, um, the, the, the scripture doesn't tell us as much as we'd like. 
Um, we have we have these three little incidents, but we're we're left to fill in a lot of the gaps for ourselves. And we don't have we don't have anything about Jesus except these three events. And, and the reason is that the writers of the scripture wanted to remind us that Jesus was not like the pagan myths. In the in the pagan myths, the god would come down from Olympus, Zeus or whoever it would be, would come down from Olympus. He would assume the form of some kind of earthly creature. He would be a human, or he would be a um, he would be a, a, an animal or a bird, um, but would simply be taking on the form for a little window of time and then go back to Olympus. And the, the the writers of the biographies of Jesus wanted to make it clear that Jesus was not like that. Jesus was a real human in every way from his birth until he began his ministry. So they want us to. They want us to realize that Jesus is not like those pagan myths, but at the same time, they tell us that Jesus was pretty amazing. And so uh, we want to fill in the gaps and just kind of how amazing was he? What sort of questions was he asking and answering there that day? And so because they haven't told us all the details we might like, we kind of fill it in. Um, artists do this. Uh, there's a picture I've got here from um, some stained glass we saw when we were in California. So this is a this is the kind of thing that artists make up. Uh, you see, there's the Holy Family, and uh, Mary is doing some kind of a spinning thing, home spinning or something. I don't know. Um, and uh, Joseph is doing some kind of carpentry, and there's little Jesus being helpful. And because he's Jesus, every time he picks up three boards, he arranges them in the pattern of a cross, or at least an artist would have you believe that. So, um, so that's a you know an artistic convention. If you're wondering who is the little kid there. Uh, the answer is Jesus, and how do you know? Because he's got a cross. So, so that's an artistic convention, but they're filling in gaps. We don't have this story. This story is not in the Bible. We just have to assume that things like that happen. However, sometimes people, people go further. They make up things that are just not there. There's a, there's a book, I guess you could call it, some from, um, uh, the second century called The Infancy Gospel of Thomas, and it's filled with all kinds of amazing stories about Jesus, and he's kind of like one of those Greek gods. He's kind of uh, floating six inches off the ground is, is kind of the picture that we, we might get from that story. He's not really one of us. And, and so there's a danger when we try to fill in the gaps from what Scripture tells us, when we try to fill it in and imagine what it must have been like to be Jesus, we may go too far. We may make up things that really aren't in keeping with the picture that we get in Scripture of Jesus. So instead of getting a picture of Jesus as the kind of humanity that, that God wanted us all to be, we get this idea of some kind of a demigod who's, who's, uh, you know, uh, walking six inches above the ground and shooting laser beams out of his eyes. And that's not what the scripture wants us to know. The scripture wants us to know that Jesus was like us. In fact, Luke ends this passage by saying, Jesus increased in wisdom. He grew up. That Jesus was a 12 year old boy, but he did grow up. And so, the, the scripture is trying to teach us that Jesus is not a, a, a demigod who is, who is pretending to be human. He is a real human. And in fact, if he does things that we can't do, if Jesus does things that amaze us, it's not because he is God in human form. It's because he is the kind of humanity God always wanted us to be. That Jesus later on in his ministry Jesus will do what only God could do. But at this point, Jesus is doing what all humans were meant to do. Jesus is doing 
what humans were designed to do, and we do so poorly because Jesus had not connected us to God. Jesus came, and at the end of his ministry, he reconnects us to God so we can have the kind of life that God wants us to all have. God wants us to be like the kind of human that Jesus was. So what does that look like, and how do we do that? Well, the answer, if you've been in church for very long, is you know that that those who put their trust in Jesus are given new life. The The scriptures talk about receiving new life. Jesus talks about how we would have a, um, a, a life, life welling up in us, um, becoming a spring gushing up to eternal life. He talks about being born from above. Jesus talks about what happens to us when we're connected to God as a new kind of life, birth from above or eternal life. Those are the language that the scriptures give us, and that's what we can have when we trust in God. But I think if you're like me, this is the way I hear that. When I, when I hear the scripture say, trust Jesus and you can have this new kind of life, this eternal life, this new life, I think to myself that it's kind of like you get a shot or something, you know, you get a, a serum that changes you. Um, I had the, the shirt earlier, the, the Captain America shirt. If you've seen the movie or you read the comic books, Captain America is a 98 pound weakling and he can't do anything. He's short and, and small and he can't do anything, but then he gets this shot, and then he becomes the superhero. He's buff and bulky. He's tall. He becomes this different person. And I think if we if we hear that, trust in Jesus and receive the new life, we miss the point, because that's not the kind of trust that they're talking about. The trust is not that first act of trust, but the everyday leaning into the promises that Jesus has made, and in order to have the kind of life that Jesus is talking about, it's not that you will suddenly find yourself six foot five and, and covered with muscles or the spiritual equivalent of that. It's that you still look like a 98 pound weakling, but you're connected to God so you can do the things that Jesus has promised you can do. So that's what Paul is talking about in the passage from Colossians. He's saying, how can you as a, as a spiritual 98 pound weakling do the kind of things, have the kind of life, be the kind of human that God meant us all to be? And the answer is to put it on. He says, clothe yourself. He begins this chapter by saying, there's a whole bunch of stuff you shouldn't do. That if in fact you have new life, you shouldn't keep acting like people who don't have new life. But then he changes his perspective. He's not interested in giving us a list of the, the ways that we fail as people who have the old kind of life. But instead, he tells us what it's like to live the new kind of life. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourself. What he's saying is, is you know, we, we live in Alaska, right? What do you do when it's cold outside? You put something on to stay warm. He's saying, you're going to go out into the world and you're not going to be thinking of yourself the way that the new humanity is supposed to. You're not going to see yourself in that light. You're not going to be Captain America. You're still going to be the 98-pound weakling. So he says, put it on. Just tell yourself, if I were Jesus, if I had the kind of life Jesus had when he lived a human life, what would it be like? And put that on. He says, 
put on compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is having the, the same intensity of feeling. It's a, it literally what this word translates is, is to feel in your guts. You know, we, we've often had a situation where somebody tells us about a problem and we kind of go, well, that's too bad, but it's all in our head. And what, what he's saying is compassion is to really feel it, to, to let that trouble that the person is dealing with get into us so we feel it with the same level of intensity that they do. And you say, well, I don't feel that way, right? It's not my problem. I can't feel that way. Paul says, put it on. Act like you did and find out whether maybe you do. Lean into the promise that Jesus makes that by reconnecting us to God, we will begin to have his kind of life. Trust that Jesus is turning you into a different kind of person. So put on compassion. He says, put on compassion, clothe yourself with compassion. Kindness, what is kindness? Kindness is what, you know, the, the golden rule. What would you like done to you in the same circumstances? Humility. Humility is recognizing that you're not God. You know, Jesus acted with humility when he was God. It should be easy for us to do this. The same thing with gentleness. Gentleness is gearing our power down to whatever is needed for the circumstance. You're, you're putting a band-aid on a child. That's gentleness. Patience. What is patience? Patience literally is long-suffering. It means putting up with a little bit more of that. And what is forgiveness? He says, he says, forgive, bear with one another and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against one, uh, against someone, forgiveness is letting go of it. Patience is putting up with a lot of it and forgiveness is letting go of it. He says, let the peace, he says, over all these virtues put on love. Again, this picture, one layer after another until finally you have the character of Christ. And it, you may feel like this is fake, this is not me, but it's the way we lean into it. It's the way we lean into the promises that God has made by putting it on even when we're not feeling it. When we don't look like Captain America, but to say, I still feel like a 98-pound weakling, but I'm going to trust that if I do this, that I'm connected to God and God will work it in me. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. Rule means to make the decisions, to be the arbitrator. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Uh, make the decisions in such a way that that you achieve peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. He's saying, let the words of Christ speak to you. Part of what we get when we're connected to God is we get a connection to, to Jesus. Jesus will speak to us in our spirits. And he says, let that dwell among you. So dwell within you as an individual, but among you as a community of believers. Let it dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another, as you remind each other, yes, I know you're not feeling compassionate. They're a jerk. But be compassionate. Put on compassion. They're telling you, yes, be patient. Yes, be forbearing. Because we need that encouragement sometimes. But then he says, um, do, do that to one another, teach and admonish one another. And he says, with the, all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. He's saying, he's saying, what about, what about the time when you're at work and you're, you're still not feeling any compassion and, and there's no one there to remind you, to, to, to admonish you and say, 
Be compassionate. He's saying songs are great for that. Songs get stuck in your head. Songs are, you know, earworms, right? So he's saying that there are songs that will remind you of what kind of person God made us to be. He says, let those songs remind you about compassion and kindness and humility. And he says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. He's saying, he's saying, our guide is to be the kind of person Jesus was, to be the kind of human that Jesus was. We can't be God. We're not supposed to be God. But what Jesus did is he came to restore our humanity so we could be the kind of human he was. Not, not a, a, a demigod strutting around the planet, but a fully restored, fully human person. The kind of person that when they reflect on God as a 12-year-old, when they reflect on their experience of God and how that relates to the way God reveals himself in Scripture, people are amazed. And Paul says we should do that in every aspect of our life, not just in, in book learning, in, in, a, in a temple situation, but in compassion, kindness, forbearance, and so forth. Imagine what that might look like in your life. What, what might it look like to put on compassion and kindness in your own life, at home or at work, in your parenting, with your parents? What might it look like if you were consciously putting on patience? It's like, I don't, ha- I don't feel any more patience. I don't have any more patience. But Jesus has assured me that there's more patience available. And if I lean into that, if I trust that he's telling the truth, what would it look like in your life if you said, maybe maybe there is more, I'm going to put some on. What would it look like if the church was known not as people who shook their finger and, and said, don't do that, but instead modeled what it's like to be fully human? If we modeled what it was like to be patient and kind and forgiving and compassionate and gentle, what would it look like if the church were known not as people who said, don't do that, but as people said, look what you can do. Let's lean into the promises of Christ. Let's put on these virtues. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for Jesus, for showing us, um, for doing what only God could do, but for showing us what kind of people you want us all to be. We pray, Lord, that, that we would we would look at the stories about Jesus and not simply write him off and say, well, that's, that's Jesus and he's special. But to say, Lord, is that what you want me to be like? Do you want me to be that kind of person? Because if so, I want to lean into it. I want to trust you. I want to put it on, trusting that Jesus will make me that kind of person. We pray this in his name. Amen.